Hello, Marvelites. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M, and you're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 533. And I'm Lorraine Sink, and you're listening to me talk at your face, because if not, I'd be talking to your butt. Butts, 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 butts. butts. All right, <laughs> this episode's already off on the no, right No, this is foot. exactly where it should be. Um, yep. We have an email address for our other show, Marvel's Pull List. And we were testing out the email address myself and co-parent of Flushy the Toilet, also <laughs> Marvel's Pull List podcast producer Jasmine Estrada. We were testing the email address this morning and I needed to send a test email. So I just sent with the subject line, butts, question mark, which is pretty much the way you and I would communicate yes. in our office when we shared an office, Lorraine. So it feels like we're on brand. Oh, I miss making you listen to Halloween music. <laughs> 24 hours a day. Yeah. Seven days a week. 366 days a year. It was but you didn't know that Halloween. was like a hot music genre, but it is for Lorraine. <laughs> it is. All right. Let's get back on track because this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about everything that's happening this week in Marvel from games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever we are excited about. We get hyped. We want you to get hyped. And there's a lot to talk about this week, Lorraine. Oh, yeah. First and foremost, our guest this week is going to be Timothy Busfield, who is the director of Marvel's Wastelanders Black Widow. He also, you may remember, was on the show because he also played Star-Lord in Marvel's Wastelanders Star-Lord. But he's back this week. We're going to talk more about this awesome podcast, which just launched this week. But we'll get into that later. We have more to talk about right ding dang now. Yeah, well, just in time for the launch of the podcast this week is the Wastelanders Black Widow comic book, which is written by Stephen S. DeKnight, who you may know from Marvel's Daredevil that was on Netflix. He was on the first season. He directed a Pacific Rim movie. He's done a ton of stuff. So he wrote it. It's great. And it's drawn by Well B, who did wonderful Marvel's X two years ago. A great comic, but it's it's good. And it is a heartbreaker. Yeah, if you like to be sad... And like also action. And I and, do. <laughs> yeah. And Black Widow kicking ass. This is a great comic for you. Speaking of great comics, if you want a full rundown of this week's books, including the end of one of my all time, literally all time favorite comic books of all time. Whoa. Savage Wait. Avengers. Wait, was it of all time? All time, Lorraine. I will put this up there with everything. Everything. It's, oh, it's so okay. good. Savage Avengers by Jerry Duggan. And most of the book was drawn by Patch Zercher. And it's fantastic. You can listen to this week's episode of Marvel's Pull List podcast to hear about that and talk about some more books. This week, we also have TV and film critic Alan Sepinwall on the show to talk about Immortal Iron Fist. So it's a good one this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. You have another podcast, Ryan. Good for you. Let's move on to the things I care about. <laughs> we have some great stuff coming to Disney Plus this month. First and foremost, Marvel Studios Eternals is now available to stream. It came out on the 12th and it's on Disney+. And remember, a bunch of our films are in that awesome IMAX format and have some really cool stuff. So definitely go watch it and then watch it again and then watch it again. Oh, but also I wanted to shout out a lot of folks have been watching Star Wars, the book of Boba Fett. And I just wanted to shout out um, Ming-Na Wen mm -hmm. from Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. An alum from that show is also on the series and she kicks many of the butts. So definitely go check her out in that series. Go watch that show because it's fun. And uh, also, you know, we were talking a lot about Betty White last week because Ryan and I love her so much and they just released this week Betty White Goes Wild and she talks about her love of big cats and how to protect them because she is a queen so definitely go watch that on Disney Plus 
And also, if you have Hulu, Golden Girls, and now Golden Palace, you can just spend many, many hours watching Betty White be amazing on these great services. Let's talk about a little bit of Spider-Man, because Spider-Man No Way Home just continues to rock and roll. No big news here, but it's just a force of nature at the box office. So now Spider-Man is becoming one of the most biggest, boastiest, biggest bombastic box office blockbusters of all time. It's really freaking cool. That's a triple B. Yeah, triple B. <laughs> Next up, Marvel Studios Hawkeye. We've all gotten to watch the series. It was so fun. And now we have a special look at all of the trick arrows in the series. I got to talk with Greg Steele, who's the VFX supervisor of that show. It was really fun. He told me all of the secrets of how all of the arrows work and what all they are. And it was actually really cool because, you know, you see stuff in the show and you're just like, hey, why'd that happen? And he kind of explains it, how they did it with VFX. It's really cool. And we have a special piece about Pizza Dog, aka Lucky, that you can watch on social media. And it shows a little bit of how they fixed his eye. The dog in real life is a dog named Jolt. And she has two normal eyes and Lucky has one closed eye. So they did that with VFX. But she also did all her own stunts because she was such a good girl. I love her. But of course, you can watch all episodes of Marvel Studios Hawkeye now streaming on Disney Plus. So go and watch it and catch up if you have not already. Yeah. All right. As Salt and Pepper once said, let's talk about comics, baby. We've got a bunch of really cool comic book stuff to get to, including a brand new amazing Spider-Man number one. We are celebrating Spider-Man's 60th anniversary this year. So we're getting a new number one for the flagship Spider-Man book is written by Zeb Wells. Art and coloring by the goat, the legend, John Romita Jr. I've read Johnny Jr.'s Spider-Man comic books from various eras and years, and he just, he's up there with, to me, Mark Bagley, Steve Ditko, and John Romita Sr. as the definitive Spider-Man artists. Well, you know, Tom McFarlane's pretty good, but in terms of, like, longevity and impact and influence forever i think it's yeah johnny's definitely up there so i'm very excited to get him back up on here but this is wild because some crazy stuff will have happened when this book launches in april because peter he's gonna be kind of on the outs with everyone fantastic four the avengers even aunt may nobody wants to see that spider butt except for doc ock which is a whole thing there's a lot of trouble for all spidey we don't know what has happened we don't know how bad it really is do we think it can be fixed maybe we'll have to see this issue is so big this anniversary is so big everything about this is so big that we get a new number one we get john romita jr back on the book it is very exciting this is all happening in april yeah i cannot wait give me some new spider-man also Yes, 60 is great, but what about a 500-year war? Because Eternals 500-year war is coming to Marvel Unlimited, and it's now available. It's seven issues, and it relates to, you guessed it, a 500-year war with the Deviants. These dudes are old. They've been fighting these grotesque abominations since the dawn of time. And while fighting the Deviants, fans are going to get to see the Eternals interact with different cultures of the human race across time across artifacts that were gifted to them. It's going to be a really cool story. And there's a great article if you want to learn more about it on marvel.com about the history of the Celestials and the Eternals and the Deviants and all that jazz written by the one and only Robin Belt. 
here at Marvel. So definitely go check that out. And each issue is going to have, this is really cool, an international creative team of writers and artists that are going to represent their respective country in the story that's being told, which I think this is going to be a really amazing really excitingly authentic way to tell these stories there's a a a lot of great names here i want to point out dan abnett who has Mm -hmm. done a ton of work he's sort of one of the reasons why we have a guardians of the galaxy in the public consciousness because he helped really Mm -hmm. build the guardians 15 years ago he's on a, a pal of mine david macho is writing so i'm very excited for david to do his first i think this is david's first marvel work i think a lot of these creators are doing their first work with marvel jeffo who has done a ton of really great and innovative comic book work, especially in Infinity Comics and Scrolling Comics and and other types of new formats. He'll be drawing a couple of issues. So there's some really great folks on the creative teams for each of these issues. So I'm very excited about that. I also want to shout out Marcio Fiorito, who I've worked with a bunch on some of our content for Marvel HQ, and he's rad. Sweet. So great, great, great. Lots of people. And of course, Remember to stream Marvel Studios Eternals, now available on Disney Plus in the original theatrical and IMAX formats, baby. Yeah. Next up, coming in April, Knights of X, number one. It's a new number one for the X-Men Destiny of X era. Continuing Teeny Howard's work on Excalibur. I love Teeny Howard. She is who I aspire to be, like my 13-year-old inner self wants to be Teeny Howard um, because she's the coolest. Art by Bob Quinn with a cover by Yannick Paquette. This is going to be really cool. You know, the quest is really going to start here where mutants are hated and feared again. The gates to Otherworld are closed and Captain Britain is trapped on the wrong side. Usurpers Merlin and his right-hand man King Arthur are now in control of Lunatic Citadel. Furies the size of Sentinels raise villages to the ground in this hunt for witch breed. Of course, we remember witch breed are mutants, but like British and also old timey. Anyways, moving on. Cut off from Krakoa, Betsy Braddock is Otherworld's only hero. And to save her people, Betsy must recruit a round table of her own. The Knights of X gather to restore the rightful order and rescue desperate mutants. But their quest is about to get so much bigger than that. This is the era of destiny and the fate of the Otherworld lies in the center of mutant kind's future. Don't miss this essential piece of the new Krakoa. I'm so excited for it. Give me knights. Give me quests. Give me some witch breed. We've been talking about a lot of new X-Books over the last couple of weeks, which is very exciting. New launches, new stuff. All the X-Men creators and editors and everybody are just keep pushing forward into mm-hmm. new directions and new weird stuff and, and really dangerous stuff for mutant kind. Even though Krakoa is almost paradise, it is horrible half the time for the characters, which is makes for great damn comic books. Heck yeah. We're also going to have a bunch of new number ones coming out this week that we've all been talking about forever, like The Ten Lives of Wolverine, Silk, and She-Hulk. Great books. Just wanted to shout those out because they're here. Go get them next Wednesday because I love a new number one. Spoiler for Marvel's pull list. Those are our three picks for next week's favorite books because they're so damn good. Heck yeah. Also very fun was this week, the X-Men election. It's the second annual election. It happened this week, uh, sort of in between our episodes and people voted for a new X-Men to join the team. They chose from Armor, Avalanche, Bling, Firestar, Gentle, Micromax, Penance, Siren, and Surge. Nowhere in that list do I see the one and only peepers, but hey, 
Jeepers Creepers, where is that Peepers? Let's hope there's a third election and we can have Peepers take it next year. Of course, if you didn't catch it, check out all the fun stuff posted about it on the Marvel social pages, including some very informative campaign messages on behalf of the candidates. And of course, the results for the X-Men election, along with the full X-Men team, will be unveiled during the Hellfire Gala in Marvel Comics this June. That's right, baby. Hellfire Gala is coming back in 2022 because we just can't get enough of that sweet, sweet mutant fashion. I hope we get invited again to, to <laughs> be there and we have more fabulous outfits. I want to be a cater waiter this time. Ooh. And also, if you are a Marvel Insider, Marvel Insiders will be eligible to enter the Marvel Insider Drawn into X-Men Hellfire Gala 2022 sweepstakes from January 18th at 12 p.m. Eastern until January 26th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. You get a chance to attend the Hellfire Gala itself by being drawn into a Marvel comic book. We did this last year. It was awesome. More information on on how to enter will be provided in the coming days. And if you're not already a Marvel Insider, sign up today, marvel.com slash insider. I'm just saying, if you're like reading comics on Marvel Unlimited or watching our videos or reading our articles, you should go to marvel.com and become an insider because you can just get like free stuff and like cool little things for your phone or computer or whatever. And you get all these points. You can get stuff for some of the games. You can get like codes mm -hmm. to unlock stuff in some of Marvel's mobile games. You rack up points just doing the things you would normally be doing. I, I have 247,000 points. Oh, I have so many. Yeah, I, I don't even know how many thousands of them I have. But like you just get them and you just attach them to your account and then you get all the points. So why not get the free stuff? Yeah, why not? Well, I have a big why. Why haven't you listened to Marvel's Wastelanders Black Widow yet? And that's right. The first two episodes are now available. And in fact, in fact, I'm not just going to tell you about it. I'm going to let you listen to it. Here is an exclusive clip from episode one of Marvel's Wastelanders Black Widow. It's all in the eyes. And yours are beautiful, by the way. And they move so fast. Always watching. Always observing. I love that about you. Okay. You're... 35, 37. Thank you. 49. Good genes. Oh, congrats. <laughs> well, I still have a few years on you. Yet here I am. Standing on the last little patch of hardwood I need to mop. Okay, I'll make a deal with you. I'll move if you just tell me how you look so remarkably, astonishingly hot. <laughs> oh! <sighs> look, I did ask you to move way nicer than I usually do. Was... <coughs> Was that a it was a spinning leg sweep. Look, take my hand. I'll help you out. You just heard the voices of Susan Sarandon as Black Widow and Michael Imperioli as Stanley Petronella. And you know what? Sit down. Relax. We've got another exclusive clip because why not? Put it in your ears right now. Natasha Romanoff, the Black Widow. <sighs> my sister had a doll of her. But wouldn't she be really old by now? Like over a hundred. Uh, she wouldn't, actually. Natasha was injected with this serum back in Russia, and it all but stopped her from aging. At most, she'd be in her 40s, even after all this time. Plus, <laughs> you just said all those people are dead. Right, of course. Although, whoa, what if it's Yelena Belova, the other Black Widow? She'd also be pretty damn old by now. 70s sounds right, and they never confirmed her whereabouts after the Westchester thing. <sighs> It sounds like you've logged a few too many hours on these message boards. Oh, <laughs> yeah.
You just heard the voices of Nate Cordry as Jordan Temple and Justin Harmon as Lisa Cartwright. Um, of course, you can listen to these first two episodes now exclusively on the SiriusXM app and the Marvel Podcast Unlimited subscription on Apple Podcasts. And of course, the episodes will also be available widely one week later on Pandora, Stitcher, and all other major podcast platforms in the US. So learn more at marvel.com slash wastelanders. But wait, I know the best way that they could learn more. Maybe that's by listening to our interview with Marvel's Wastelanders Black Widow director Timothy Busfield, who, as you mentioned at the top of the show, also played Star-Lord in the previous podcast series. Is he king of the wasteland now as both a director and as a star that's got to be it right uh, he's basically the egot of the wastelanders Ooh, you got a lot going on i'm telling <laughs> you that much uh lorraine you talked to timothy busfield uh can you get us a little bit of insight before we dive into this interview Definitely. So we had a great chat. You know, we talked a bit about the process, working with the incredible cast, which is, I mean, obviously Susan Sarandon is in it. So, you know, it's phenomenal. But we had a lot of insight into where the series is going and what it was like to make it. Heck yeah. Let's listen to Timothy Busfield right now. All right. This week in Marvel, we have director of Marvel's Wastelanders, Black Widow, Timothy Busfield. Welcome back, Tim. Hi, Lorraine. How are you? Nice to see you. It's lovely to have you back. Of course, we talked to you about Marvel's Wastelanders, Star-Lord before, but now you're back and better than ever in a new role that is not on mic. Yeah, you know... I played Quill, that absolute dumbbell of a superhero, and had the time of my life with Chris Elliott and Danny Glover and Kim Sr. directed a really nice opener to the series, the Wastelander series, and everybody on board were just so great. And then they came back and said, hey, would you like to direct Black Widow? And I said, are you, what are you kidding? Of course I would. And I just had the time of my life, and I had a Absolute spectacular script by Alex Delisle. Those guys just do a great job. Well, we'll get more into the series and, and all the wonderful stuff you've been working on. But I have to ask, what's your Marvel origin story? How were you first introduced to the world of Marvel, whether it was comics or cartoons or the spinner rack at the grocery store? <laughs> the spinner rack. Is that what that's called? Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. The spinner rack. <laughs> I was obsessed with the spinner rack. You know, I was definitely a comic book guy, especially in the summers. In the summers, my mom would take us up to upstate Michigan. And for me, it was Spider-Man. Spider-Man, the cartoon, still goes down as probably that and Johnny Quest, two of my favorite cartoons of all time, absolutely hands down. Oh, that like made my heart so happy because I very much was introduced to comics in the same way. Every summer I'd go to my grandma's house in Oregon and my mom would be like, what do you want to read yeah. for the summer? And it was always some Marvel comics, some Archie comics, the absolute best. Now, we were talking about you playing Star-Lord, of course, in Marvel's Wastelander, Star-Lord. So how did this conversation come about? Did they just approach you? I mean, obviously you've directed quite a lot in your career already, but what made you want to come on and be a part of this one and particularly director of a podcast? I don't know why they chose me. I'm just so glad they did. And because I'd learned under Kim Sr., having her to learn from was just a great experience for me and it taught me a lot. So I felt ready having done, you know, 10 episodes as the lead and the first 
Wastelander series, I'd learned and it felt like I had a handle on how to do it. And then, I mean, Susan Sarandon is Black Widow. Yeah, uh, not bad. Yeah, yeah, I mean, no, she's a Hall of Famer. Uh, she's an Academy Award winner. She's one of the best actresses of our time with Meryl Streep and Glenn Close. I think those three women pretty much hold down the fort as far as performances across the board for the last 40 years. And, you know, to work with her and Justin Kirk, who I'd worked with before, and Nate Cordry, who I was on Studio 60 with, and Chastin Harmon. The cast is just spectacular. They gave me a great cast, and uh, Elaine Aldaffer did a fantastic job casting it. And we were just really lucky to have Susan. The cast is absolutely phenomenal, and the story is really exciting. So to dive into it then, what is the series about? The series is Wastelanders, and there's Wastelanders Old Man Star-Lord, and Wastelanders Hawkeye, Wastelanders Black Widow, Earth has fallen into not good hands. And some of the Avengers may have survived and some may have not. And those that are around are, even at their older age, are really called on to take on the bad guys. One by one, you find that each of these sort of fallen superheroes are at a place where they need to get up off the mat, as it were. How did you prepare for this job? Were there any comics or or even other films or genres of things that you looked into to inspire you as you began to work with the crew? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, when I did, when I played Star-Lord, I really, of course, I knew the movies and I'm a gigantic Chris Pratt fan. You know, I love that he's an actor that has no problem lowering his IQ, which is my favorite thing to do as an actor. He's got no problem playing a dumbbell. Then I went into the comics and went back and sort of tracked the history of Peter Quill and the history of the Guardians. And then when I started directing, I had to do the same thing for Black Widow and the various Black Widows. And in the comic books, you really get an understanding of how Black Widow was created. You know, it's fun because Black Widow is like a character that we associate with like sort of a moral gray area. We kind of never know what she's doing. She's got a espionage sort of history. How fun was it for you to play as a director with that espionage and sort of the subtext of the scene as you started to work on the series? So much fun for me. And being a James Bond fan, you know, I really love espionage storytelling. Those are my favorite sort of movies. And to get Black Widow, who's much like Peter Quill in that their superhero powers are a little more vague and like what is trained and what is inherent. Black Widow is absolutely, she's a bad girl. She has a a dark past. You know, you're not dealing with Captain America, somebody who just draws a line at right versus wrong. She'll pretty much do whatever she needs to do to get the job done. Whereas Captain America is going to always take the stand of righteous and right. And Black Widow is tough. And that conditioning spreads into Elena. Alex Delisle's done a great job of sort of taking the audience on that journey. It's interesting because thinking about, you know, Star-Lord, that's kind of like Space Cowboys-esque. And then there's Hawkeye. We've got kind of this like wandering circus dystopia. What is the world like in Marvel's Wastelanders, Black Widow? What is this setting that we're seeing this espionage story fall into? Well, we're going to land in New York City in what would be a futuristic society of New York where 
the elements of global warming and everything has taken its toll. We're dealing with massive floods and earthquakes and tornadoes, much like we're seeing begin to happen now. If you can imagine those 50 years down the line, 100 years down the line, imagine what New York City will be like with the water level rising and with the elements, especially with evil powers being able to take over. And Black Widow has got to figure out a way to turn things around. It's just in her nature. She can't, despite any despicable acts she may have done, despite whatever she is personally called on to step up. And where we land in Black Widow is she is there to find out something that we don't quite know about right away. We just know she's come out of hiding. We assume that all the Avengers have disappeared and yet this one resurfaces. You know, the mystery of why she's here is what unfolds in this incredible story from Alex Delisle. We see her integrate herself into the Onar, which is over a hundred floors of Manhattan Plaza-esque lifestyle, where you could basically live your entire existence inside. On the outside, is it's disaster, but the security and the shield security within the building allows it to be its own environment altogether. And something is turning the residents of this Onar sideways and the clock is ticking. Black Widow needs to figure out what that is before the East Coast of the United States falls into the same tragedy that we discover in Wastelanders, Star-Lord and, and Hawkeye is happening across the country. It's such an exciting story. There were some interesting challenges with the world being what it is, and you got to record remotely, which I think the whole world is figuring out and, and has done a great job of figuring out in the last couple of years. Has it changed anything about the way you direct or have you learned and changed your process? Well, you know, the directing aspect, directing this kind of thing, I found very much more like theater because in film and TV, we have close-ups and we can use the camera, the equipment that we have with us, whether it's sound equipment and picture, we can use our cutting to tell the stories. And here, performance really needs to come from the body of language. And it has to come from the body of the actor connected to those words. And that's much more theater than anything else. And the idea of being in people's homes was spectacular. And of course, we're going to get actors occasionally that are recording from home. Some actors are in like closets with microphones that are sent to them in a little area that we've made and we're using our clothes and jackets and pillows and everything to sort of get rid of the sound. And that was a brand new way of dealing with storytelling for me. To actually spend a day with somebody hunkered into the corner of their closet and saying, hang on, someone's doing hammering upstairs. It sort of gave it, you know, that raw energy. We spend so much money and time pushing boulders uphill to get content out to audiences. Movies cost $100 million. TV shows cost three to $5 million, sometimes more per episode. It makes it really hard for that performer, which doesn't have those resources, to feel like they can actually get their stuff out to a bigger audience. And in the world of YouTube and other things, we've realized that storytelling belongs to everybody. 
you can create a successful podcast from your closet. Now you need the performers, Nadine Maloof and Old Man Star-Lord who recorded in a tiny little closet where you could see clothes falling on her during the takes, steals the show. We've had our similar closet experiences, which I think are always exciting. But, you know, you've mentioned so much about this wonderful cast for Marvel's Wastelanders, Black Widow, obviously Susan Sarandon. What was your experience like finding out about the initial casting for the series and then getting to actually work with those folks? Well, the casting was, uh, I was very involved in that. Nobody was on board when I got there. So that was a, a great part of this. I had say in kind of what I wanted voice-wise and the respect those guys give to the director in that area. I have to work with them. And I was nervous to work with Susan. I'm starstruck. I'm a Michigan guy. I sort of landed in Hollywood. And anytime I'm around those heroes of mine, I don't react too well, physically, mentally. I become just gobbledygook. And she could not have been more accessible like the greats, like all of the greats immediately put me at ease, took notes better than any actor I've ever worked with. There wasn't a defensiveness with her or an awkwardness. And that was in suit across the board. Justin Kirk, Nate Cordry, Melissa Gilbert, Chaston Harmon, all of them. And uh, I cast them. They were my choices as well. It was quite an honor to be a part of that process. Well, kudos. It's a phenomenal group. Has there been anything surprising about the process as you've begun to wear in your director hat? The surprising part of this for me was really the music. And, you know, Daniel Brunel does all the sound. And he was absolutely a genius with what he did. And saying to him early on, we're dealing with a futuristic world, more Blade Runner-y than what we had in the opener with the Dakotas. We're dealing with a metropolis in the future and what is happening to the people in the Onar, and then turning over the music and the sound effects. Usually those are broken up between a whole bunch of different people on a movie or a TV show. You've got the composer, then you've got post sound, you've got footsteps, you've got all of those sounds. That's a different group of people. You've got post audio, just the words. That might be a different group of people. But here, Daniel did all of it. That surprised me. I wasn't in anywhere in my career prepared for that kind of brilliance. Ah, there's something truly wonderful about hearing something go from a recording of people in a room to the full sort of audioscape that ends up in these podcasts. It's so fun to hear that evolution in the cuts. Amazing. And again, because I'd had a chance to see what Kimberly Sr. did, because I'd just come off of playing the lead in 10 episodes and listen to what they did with those cuts and how that sound evolved, I was able to give confidence to what that world would be. I had confidence and was able to give confidence to the actors that we will surround this with all of that sound because when you're recording it, it's like we're recording it now. It's just, we hear each other and that's it. But when you put a futuristic New York City vehicles flying by, they're not just down on the street at 120 floors. When a massive flood happens, when a hurricane hits, those elements that would happen in a gigantic tower, just everything, I was not prepared for that. And not that I haven't experienced that in TV and movies and post sound, but here for one person, 
remarkable. And Daniel was just remarkable. That's so amazing. And, you know, you mentioned details and something that Marvel fans, we love our Easter eggs. Not that you have to give anything away, but could you give us any hints at where we might want to look out for Easter eggs to the Marvel Universe or interesting things in the series? Well, yeah, you know, honing in on the legacy of Black Widow is a lot of this. And the audience has to stay with it to find out what those Easter eggs are concerning Michael Imperioli, you know, an Emmy award-winning actor off The Sopranos, falls in love with Black Widow. It's always a mistake to fall in love with Black Widow. Really words to live by. Don't get involved with a Black Widow. Um, Horrible mistake. Widow's in the name. (laughs) Anybody, Anybody named Black Widow is a caution. Never works out well for the guy, ever. (laughs) Before I let you go off into the wild, is there anything that you'd like to say to the Marvel fans who are going out and checking out the podcast? First of all, I want to thank them so much for making our Wastelanders series such a hit, for responding so well. I've been able to go in and read, not the reviews, reviews or whatever. I'm not a big guy on reviews. I do like to clock what the fans are saying about and being a Spider-Man sort of fanatic. As a kid walking to school, imagining that I was, you know, how I could get there quicker if I could go to the oak tree, to the oak tree, to the top of the Grumman's house, over to the Loomis house. How could I actually get to school? And being obsessed with that world, your obsession will pay off in this. So stay with the 10 episodes and they will get you to the next 10. And then ultimately, and maybe the biggest Easter egg of all, is that by the end of each one of these segments of us individually, the work may not be done. It may require a team effort. So if you stay with it all the way through the four superheroes you're going to get, we still have the finale will be looming. And once again, they've delivered. As I'm seeing it unfold now, once again, you're going to get satisfaction. As gracious as you are, congratulations on directing this series. It's going to be so phenomenal. I can't wait for everyone to listen. Oh, Lorraine, thank you. Thank you. It's just, I'm beaming just talking about it. It's so exciting. So much more exciting than so many things I've done. And I just want to thank everybody at Marvel and all the fans. You know, it's so great. They're like almost sports fans, the literary version of sports fan. Their commitment to what we do is so exciting and to be able to, know that going in who the audience is and how much they love these comic books and these characters is we just want to just honor them as much as anybody and make sure that all the fans out there are as excited and picking up all the kernels and nuggets that are dropped along the way that you wouldn't get if you didn't have that rack what did you call it the spinner rack the spinner rack If you didn't experience the spinner rack and the issues that you'd read or not read and the process of going out and finding a comic book buried four deep in on the spinner rack, it's like, oh, I don't have that issue. Uh, We think we honor you well with these. So thank you for listening. Uh, Thank you for being here to talk with us, Tim. Everyone, go listen to Marvel's Wastelanders Black Widow.
All right, y'all, listen to the first two episodes of Marvel's Wastelanders Black Widow now, exclusively on the SiriusXM app and Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. Episodes will be widely available one week later on Pandora, Stitcher, and all major podcast platforms in the United States. Learn more at marvel.com slash wastelanders. Yeah, do it, do it, do it. Next week, our guest will be Megaran, a rapper, and just general wonderful man he's coming on he's got some new records and new fun stuff but he talked to james monroe Iglehart and myself about some fun stuff and you know he originally named himself after a mutant character random really cool character from the 90s so he's a big fan of mutants and all things x-men and with the x-men election having just ended we thought we'd ask y'all who you voted for in this current x-men election and why. Those choices, again, were Armor, Avalanche, Bling, Firestar, Gentle, Gorgon, Micromax, Penance, Siren, and Surge. Let us know who you voted for. I will tell you, I voted for Armor. I went back and forth between Gorgon and Armor and Bling, but I just chose Armor. I also chose Armor because mm-hmm. I really wrestled with Firestar, but then I was like, I just love Armor. I do too. Gentle is really good too. I would say maybe read an upcoming issue of Black Panther to see a, an appearance from Gentle, who's rad. These characters are great. Bling would be cool. There's a lot of fun stuff that could be done with her on the X team, but Armor is just such a great design. So cool. She's an awesome character. So fingers crossed. We'll find out later this year. But again, you can tweet your answers of which X-Men character you voted for in the X-Men election using the hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email your answer to twimpodcast at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash this week in Marvel. As always, please make sure to tell us it is okay to read on the show. Otherwise, you will get a response back from me or one of the producers being like, is this okay to read on the show? And then you'll say, yes, it is, of course. So let us know. Oh, and I want to say thank you to listener William Rose, who sent a note in saying that he sent some emails to our sister podcast, Marvel's Pull List. And William, for you and anybody else who wants to send a note to that show, the email address is pulllist at marvel.com. So that's P U L L L. I-S-T at marvel.com. The three L's can be a little tricky in there. So thank you for sending some emails. Yeah. Now let's uh, review some of our favorite messages we've received from this week. Last week, we asked y'all, which Marvel hero would you want to live with in the same apartment building and why? And why not? You know? (laughs) First up is Liza at Liza 15578954 who said, Shang-Chi, because you would get to hang out with Katie and sing Hotel California. They would be awesome roomies and always be chilling and having fun. Yeah, invite me to your karaoke party, please. I don't want to be anywhere near there. I don't like singing karaoke. Ryan's not invited. Perfect. Everybody wins. (laughs) Next up, Andrew Nickerson at Andrew Nickers19 said, Probably Steve Rogers. We're both avid readers. He's a great person, and it'd be nice to discuss history with him. Oh, how wholesome. That's so wholesome. I love that answer. Maru Holloway at Maru Holloway tweeted, Tony Stark, the building would be guaranteed to be high-tech and pretty awesome. That, and he's super cute, of course. And just be like, oh, there's the cute guy down the hall. Just kidding. He has the entire penthouse. Yeah, you'd never see. <laughs> never. Next up, Harvey Pilkington at It's Harfori. It's got a four <laughs> instead of an A. All right. Black Panther, T'Challa just seems like the guy to just chill and relax until someone needs him. Yeah. Also, another high-tech building I'm sure you would be in, or at least you'd hear all his cool gadgets. <laughs> yeah. I think... 
if I remember correctly, I think it was T'Challa who was Black Panther, the man without fear. Mm-hmm. That run, and the he client. was in New York yeah. City. Yeah, yeah, he was in New York City in an apartment building. Yeah, with Everett Ross. Yeah, yeah. So there was a whole bunch of mm-hmm. stuff going on in there. That go read that round on Marvel Unlimited. Coven of Sushima at Coven underscore not underscore Kevin <laughs> says Peter Parker. He is a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. We will play games, eat food, and chill with a friend when he isn't protecting the city. Uh, good answer. Also, there was the the beginning of this current run of Amazing Spider-Man. So the one that is numbered around, you know, issue number one, where we're in the 80s right now. Peter Parker was living in an apartment with two other folks, two friends. So you can get a sense of what that apartment life was like for Peter Parker. I love how everybody just wants to move in with these people. Why not? Next up, Quinn Enox at Night C322 said, Daredevil, I would 100% be badgering Matt about legal questions and learning his thoughts about the state of the criminal justice system. Yeah. He's like, I don't want to talk about any more laws at the end of the day. Ariel Gomez at Gomez19 Ariel says, I would want Frank Castle. He just seems like the type of dude to get the mail for you and a goes south i would know where to go Ooh, yeah i think he would be a kind of grumpy neighbor but that could be fun yeah like don't jaywalk in front of him though because you're going down (laughs) each of these brings up a different comic book that i want to reference but in the welcome back frank run of punisher or that time period by garth ennis and steve dillon frank castle lived in an apartment and and he had neighbors and he would talk to his neighbors all the time. And there's some really funny interactions with all of his neighbors. So go read that. Yeah, there you go. Erica at EMK1632 said, Wanda, she could use her magic to make both of our lives easier. She wouldn't have to worry about cleaning, cooking, etc. She seems like she'd be fun to hang around with and we could binge shows together. Oh, she does love to watch TV, which is like right there in my heart. But like... She could destroy all of reality if she got upset with something. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, but who could? Fair. Very, very fair. All right. Maddie at Dumbteen13 says, Loki, because that would be so fun. None of my days would be half as boring as they are now if I'm in the same apartment as the literal god of mischief. Again, Loki, agent of Asgard, has some great mm-hmm. Loki like hanging out in an apartment with his BFF of the moment at that time. And it's really... It's really sad at times in that book. It's so good, though. In my mind, he's just like doing whoopee cushions. He's turning off your Zoom calls. <laughs> Mischief. Mischief. And he just runs out of the room. <laughs> that should His be in, in Marvel Studios Loki season two. Just him running around going, Mischief, and then running away. Next up, Kate needs a nap at I Am Wintermute says, okay, the place may be full of holes and the lights don't work, but when Hawkeye is your landlord, you get to pet the pizza dog, hang out with Kate Bishop and watch Clint hit himself with a boomerang arrow. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Oh, Kate, bless you. That's a that's an excellent one. Yeah. And everybody who hasn't read it yet, go read the Hawkeye oh my God, run so by good. Yeah, Matt Fraction, David Aha, and Francesco Francovia and a whole bunch of other people where Hawkeye owns an apartment building, which is what Kate was talking about. So it's so, so good. Astrid Moreno at Lorena Astrid says, Kate Bishop, because she's hilarious and has Lucky the pizza dog. Simple, perfect. Also less likely to explode you. Maybe. She's kind. She's like like the best, but also kind of a klutz. Well, that's true too. But I feel like she'd accidentally explode you because someone's trying to explode her. Fair. 
All right. We got this tweet from Lance Presley at GL Presley responding to last week's question about which Marvel character would have the best sneaker collection. And they said, come on, Lorraine. What? <laughs> Kang put five quid in the bank in Britain in the 1600s and just buys shoes with the 500 years of accrued interest. He only buys shoes? What about his tunics? And he wears thigh-high boots, I'll have you know. <laughs> what does British Kitty in the City have to say about this investment? Oi, I put five quid in the bank and I've got five quid and two cents. <laughs> <laughs> British Kitty in the City doesn't understand finance. Mew. <laughs> Keep saving your pennies, love. Oh, no, it's Miona, boy. <laughs> and that has been theater. <laughs> All right, we have a Facebook message from Keith Lyle. Keith says, I'd love to live in the same apartment as Spider-Man, specifically Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. I mean, just hear Mr. Dickovich yell at him about rent. That's worth it alone. Spidey has lived in apartments half of his life, and I think it'll be hilarious seeing him swinging away, trying to avoid his landlord because he's short on rent. Oh, that's a great answer, Keith. Thank you. I worry about his financial troubles. All right. Next up, we've got an email from Grayson Wozniczynski, who said, for this week's question, I would choose Spider-Man because he seems nice to have around. Or maybe just Vision and Wanda. Now, that seems like Wanda and Vision together is the better mix because I feel like Vision would clean up the chaos that Wanda creates. We got an email here from Leo Krauss who says, for me, it would be Vision because you can just say Vision and he will pop in the wall and scare the crap out of you. Do you just like to be scared, Leo? Because I love that. I love That's that fantastic. for you. <laughs> yeah. We have an email here from William Rose who says, Hi, Twim hosts. My Marvel hero for an apartment building buddy may be unusual, but definitely the Jerry to my Tom or the Garfield to my John or the that cat to my Dougie Doug. It's Jeff the shark. Oh, why he's the best answer? Question mark. Because I need a pet that brings hijinks and makes for a great entertainment partner. No acting teacher is needed. A true natural. Many years ago, I gave up my pug because she was really hyper and sadly passed away years later. I miss her 3000. Maybe that kind of energy is what I need to get a pet like Jeff. No, that's really sweet. William. I love that one. And again, Anybody who wants to read about Jeff, go read the It's Jeff Infinity Comics so over on Marvel Unlimited. Just so good. And we're going to get more this year, which is wonderful. We got another email, this one from Beckett Kemp Ferlin, who says, Hello, Ryan and Lorraine. It's Beckett. I love your podcast. Three exclamation points. Here is my answer to which Marvel hero would be good to share an apartment with. I think it would be good to share an apartment with Quicksilver because he has a lot of arcade games and he could use his speed to easily clean up the apartment. He could also quickly pick up pizza. I think mm. Beckett is specifically referring to the Quicksilver who was in the X-Men films, which I think is super fun. And he would be a hoot less broody than comic book Pietro. Man, man, man. Picking up pizza, though, that is inventive when you're like hey would it, would you mind grabbing my takeout and you blink and it's just there oh that's yeah. awesome do you have to tip him or is like just because <laughs> or is he like because that's, that's that's but i guess if he's eating the pizza with you yeah just be like i'll 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 buy the pizza if you will get it to me hot and fresh in like 10 seconds yeah that rules mm, i love pizza so much me too all right, y'all, that's it. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isval Robertson, Lorraine Sink, Ryan Panagos, and Pizza. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. Special thanks to Jeff the Landshark. Jeff, 
He's a pet. We fight. It's Jeff. <laughs> I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Butts, butts, butts. butts. <laughs>